really appreciated Jim sharing last Sunday on happiness, and I just, uh, I texted him, I don't know, he, he shared last Sunday, I, I don't know if I've ever thought about God just singing over me, and uh, that was just a thought that really has stood with me, that he delight, you know, just delighting over me, and yeah, so it, that, that's been a powerful thought for me. I, I, I'm sure there are some takeaways for you as well. Today what we're going to do is we're going to get back into our sermon series on the book of Daniel, titled Daniel, Remaining Faithful in a Faithless Generation. And what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to turn to Daniel 2. We're going to be back in that chapter once again. And we're going to look at how King Nebuchadnezzar responded to some difficulty in his life. And we're going to even take a step further. Instead of just looking at his external circumstances, we're going to investigate his heart a bit. What was in his heart that led him to respond to his difficulty in the way that he did. So what were those internal movements of King Nebuchadnezzar's heart that led to his external behaviors? Because that's how it works, doesn't it? That's, that's how things go. What lurks you know, deep in our hearts, eventually it comes to the surface, especially when the heat's on, right? When we face adversity, adversity, difficulty, challenge. And so I think there's some real spiritual insight in this chapter um, and how King, the king responded to his, his difficulty. So let me pray, and then we'll look at the passage. I'll read it to you, and then we'll consider what it might mean for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our king. We thank you that you desire to disciple us in all of our life, that you desire to speak to us, that you desire to relate to us, that you desire to bring healing and wholeness to our minds, our hearts. And Lord, we are asking you to once again reorient us to your ways to your values. Help us to be in alignment with you. May this morning be a part of that for us, of you redirecting our hearts. Help us to hear what you want us to, uh, what you want us to hear this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so hey, I'm going to read Daniel 2, starting at verse 24, going through verse 45. So Daniel 2, 24 through 45 the, the words are on the screen if you want to follow along there. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Remember, the wise men of Babylon couldn't tell King Nebuchadnezzar his dream, right? So he, he wanted them destroyed. He went and, and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, Excuse me. The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, 
and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. The great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The the image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out with hands, without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, Then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which, will, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Holy moly, you know, those, when you read a passage like that, it's just like, what on earth am I reading, right? And so it takes, it takes your attention, it takes study, it takes really engaging with the text. So this whole passage is about this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And this story of, of Neb in his dream is really a microcosm of the whole human experience, the whole human condition, what's gone wrong with humanity. In just one chapter, 
And then looking at just one man here, we learn the problem of the entire human race. We learn the consequences of the problem. We learn the solution to the problem. And then we learn how to go about assessing if we've been infected with the problem ourselves. So we got the problem, we got the consequences, we got the solution, and then we got the inspection. So let's start with the problem. What's wrong with the human race? Why are people so broken? Why are there so many hurt people hurting people? Well, like Nebuchadnezzar, we have built our life on a, a faulty foundation. That's the problem. Remember that back in the 6th and the 5th centuries B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the most powerful man in the world. And he was ruling over the world's most powerful nation, Babylon. And at that time, Neb, he was in control of most of the known world. I mean, this guy had power that, uh, you know, we, we really don't even see today. He had that much power. Some would argue that he was, he's one of the top most uh, powerful people in the history of the world, top 20, some would argue. And as a result, Neb had the best of what the world had to offer. So wealth, check. He owned the world, right? Power, check. He could take any person's life at any time. People had to do what he said, right? Success, check. His military conquests included victories over Egypt, uh, over Assyria, his uh, building accomplishments included temples and huge walls and canals and bridges and dams. The hanging gardens are considered that he created in Babylon are considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So success, accomplishments, check, right? Servants at his beck and call, check, right? He had magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, Chaldeans, wise men, including Daniel, serving him. Glory, check. He was known as the powerful, the mighty, the great, the glorious King Nebuchadnezzar. By the world's standards, he had it all. He had the world on a string, right? And Daniel says as much in verses 37 and 38. Look at how Daniel talks about King Nebuchadnezzar in these verses. He says, you, O king, are king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, a power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. So there was no argument on Daniel's part. <laughs> Neb, I mean, he, he, was the, he was the man. He was the undisputed champion of the world. He had the big, you know, buckled belt to prove it, right? Look at the phrases that Daniel uses to describe Neb's power. So it really takes us back to Genesis 2. Check it out. You know, when God put the first humans in charge of the world, you know, he says Neb is, he's, he's got power over the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heaven. You know, Neb, you rule over them all. And you know what else? Neb knew he was on top of the world also. He knew he was living high on the hog. Look at Daniel 4.30. 
Daniel 4, uh, 30 records Nebuchadnezzar strolling around his palace saying this, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Do you know what King Nebuchadnezzar was really saying? He was saying, I am worth something. I have value. I am significant. I matter. I'm important. How do I know? Look, look at the power that I have. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at my wealth. Look at this kingdom that I've built for, for myself. The foundation that Neb built his life on, where he was finding all of his significance, his security, and satisfaction, were in, was in, it was in achievement having power over others, making a name for himself, amassing a whole bunch of wealth. And I think we, you know, uh, you know we today, we think, uh, you know, what a fool, right? But we have the tendency to do the same thing, don't we? We have a tendency to look for security, meaning, significance, happiness in all the wrong places. We have a tendency to look to get our needs met in foundations such as King Nebuchadnezzar's and more. You know, to the faulty foundations of achievement and success and power and wealth, you could add to that list of where we attempt to build our lives on, of what we attempt to build our lives on. You could add marriage, family, Raising successful children, career, comfort, health, fitness, physical beauty. Now, you may be thinking these are great things, right? What's, what's wrong with me finding meaning in, in these good things in life? You know, what's wrong with these things bringing me joy? The problem lies not in finding these things important. The problem is when these things become ultimate things for us. And where these things become the source of our ultimate significance, our ultimate security, our ultimate satisfaction. That's when these things become a problem. And to count on these things to become our life's foundation, it is always a risky thing. Because all these things that I've mentioned change. They change, right? And there are so many variables to the building blocks of these foundations. And so as we look to these different things to fulfill all our needs and to, to, to give us happiness and joy that's lasting, we get into trouble because these foundations are faulty and there are consequences to building on faulty foundations. Let's look at them. So here's the consequence. Inner and relational turmoil is the consequence. Like I said, Neb had the world on a string. The world's best was at his fingertips. And so he was completely satisfied, right? He was perfectly secure, right? He was filled with peace and joy. He slept easily. No, 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 and no. Verse 1 tells us that he was so emotionally troubled that he couldn't sleep. Verse 3 tells us that he was full of anxiety. 
Verse 12 tells us that he was full of rage. Neb was all torn up inside. Inner turmoil, not inner peace. Faulty foundations always lead to inner turmoil because they fail us. Here's how. First of all, faulty foundations will trick you into believing that if you just sacrifice enough time, enough money, enough energy for your career, for your family, for your marriage, for your reputation, for your physical beauty, then eventually you're going to arrive at a place of contentment and happiness and joy. And then when that doesn't come, these faulty foundations trick us into making us believe that if we just give a little bit more, the satisfaction's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. It's always just around the corner. John Rockefeller, whose life was built on the foundation of wealth, has been quoted as saying, how much money is enough money? One more dollar. One more dollar. One more dollar. And this is coming from one of the most wealthiest people in the history of the world. I mean, when you look on Wikipedia, the source of all accurate, truthful information, the amount of money this guy made, you know, and you compare it to if you were to translate that into 2018, is just I mean, way more than like Bill Gates and, and people, the richest people in the world today. Madonna, who was, she built her life foundation on success and achievement. She's been quoted as saying, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push, one, I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre, and that's what's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Faulty foundations don't lead to lasting satisfaction. The best that they give us is temporary highs, and then they wear off. Here's what else. Faulty foundations not only can't deliver lasting satisfaction, they can't deliver on lasting peace and security. I mean, think of King Nebuchadnezzar. He worked anxiously to get to a place where he had power and he had glory for himself and he had wealth. And then once he got to a place where he had acquired these things, then he was anxious about losing it. (laughs) So you've got anxiety before And you got anxiety after. You've got insecurity before, and you got insecurity after. And that's what's, you know, if you look at Neb's dream, that's what it's all about. So in his dream, he sees this huge, dazzling statue. And it has this head of fine gold. It has a chest and arms made of silver. It has a belly and thighs made of bronze, legs made of iron, and feet made partly of iron and partly of clay. And then what Neb saw in his dream is he saw this rock come, take out the feet of the statue, which resulted in the rest of the statue crumbling down, crashing together, 
And then the dust of the statue after it crumbled was blown away in the wind. Why is Nebuchadnezzar so upset? Why is he so disturbed? Because even though he may not have understood fully what the dream was all about, he understood enough to know that somehow that statue represented him. That this dream was threatening his foundation. All the components of Neb's foundation, all the bricks of his foundation, were susceptible to change and decay. His power? Well, what if he lost it? What if there was a rebellion in the kingdom and this whole group of people in Babylon overthrew his rule? His wealth? What if there was a great famine in the land? What if a foreign power came and invaded his nation and plundered his kingdom? His popularity? What if there was an influential group of, you know, people that led this smear campaign against King Nebuchadnezzar and a whole bunch of the people in Babylon bought into it and he lost his mighty reputation? His achievement? What if his building project started to fall through? What if, you know, people mismanaged his resources and the building projects didn't get done? Or what if they turned out poorly? You see, Neb's foundation was built on this mound of sand that would shift and change based on the turbulence of the winds that he was experiencing in his life. And that's why he never felt secure. That's why he never had peace. That's why he never felt safe. That's why he never could put his guard down. We wonder why dictators, like, they become, like, just paranoid people. There's no security in that. The world will tell us there is, but there isn't. And we experience the same inner turmoil in our lives because we are are building our lives on faulty foundations. The inner turmoil that you're experiencing today, I almost guarantee you, if you would chase that to its root, it's your trusting in something else than God. It's a guarantee. It's the sin underneath the sin. Look, if, you're, if your life's foundation is in career success, you're either going to be constantly thinking that you've, if you just had a higher position, or if you had more success in your job, or if your job paid you better, then you would be happy. Or you'll be afraid of, if you feel like you've got a good position, you're going to be afraid of losing it. If that's where your life's foundation is built on your career, you're going to be afraid of some young buck coming up and and taking your role. And you're going to be afraid of, what if the company closes and then what? What if I don't, you know, what if I get to the place where I'm not hitting my sales goals? There's no peace in that. For some people, their life's foundation is their reputation, their popularity, how others think of them. And if that's the case, your joy is going to be dependent upon how many likes you have on Facebook, how many subscribers are there to your YouTube channel, how many people are buying your book, how many people are buying your albums, how many people are following you on Twitter, how many people are following your blog. For those people whose life foundation is their appearance, they're gonna, their mood and their happiness and their security and satisfaction is all going to be driven by what they see looking back at them in the mirror, which is no security. We're all going to wither and die unless Jesus comes. So we can't, I mean, if our foundation is our looks, 
If your foundation is your money, you are going to either be wanting more and anxiously working to get more, like Rockefeller, or you're going to be anxiously afraid of losing it. And you're going to be driven by what's happening in the stock market, right? Probably happy this year. Things, things are going well. I haven't looked recently, so maybe. Not recently? Okay. Proves the point, right? Three weeks ago or four weeks ago or a month ago when I last checked, it was good. You get the point, I'm sure. And we could keep going on and on and on. Tim Keller writes this. And I think it's so good because when our foundation, these faulty foundations, when they eventually fail us and crumble underneath us, then what? You don't just experience sorrow, you experience despair. And there is a difference. Sorrow, as we will see in this quote, is consolable. Despair is, there's nowhere else to turn. Check this out. There's a difference between sorrow and despair. Sorrow is pain for which there are sources of consolation. Sorrow comes from losing one good thing among others, so that if you experience a career reversal, you can find comfort in your family to get you through it. Despair, however, is inconsolable because it comes from losing an ultimate thing. When you lose the ultimate source of your meaning or hope, there are no alternative sources to turn to. Holy moly, talk about hopelessness. Anxiety, fear, insecurity, discontentment, and despair describes the inner turmoil that people who build their lives on faulty foundations experience. But Nebuchadnezzar's life tells us and shows us something else about another consequence. Check this out. Building our lives on the wrong foundation also leads not only to inner turmoil, but to relational turmoil. Neb treated the people around him horribly. Because he had to do whatever he could to keep his foundation intact from crumbling. If career success is your foundation, do you think you're going to be a great co-worker? No. You're going to use people in the company that you work for so that you can climb the corporate ladder. You're not going to be a good co-worker. You're only going to treat people nice as long as they can further your agenda. And if they can't, then you'll step all over them. If, if you're... Money is your foundation. You're going to be you're going to be manipulating people to make a buck. If your marriage is your foundation and that's where you're looking for for your happiness and your ultimate happiness and ultimate joy and ultimate security, your spouse is going to be driven insane because you're not your spouse isn't going to be able to make you happy and they're not going to be able to keep you happy. And they're going to have to walk on eggshells around you. That's the person I do not want to be married to. Praise God, Mary isn't looking to me to be God for her, right? If popularity and reputation is your foundation, you're going to lash out at people who criticize you. You won't be able to take criticism. You see, if we are not, this is so huge, if we are not at peace within ourselves, we're not going to be at peace with other people. The saying is true, hurt people hurt people. Unsure foundations cause all kinds of inner turmoil, and they cause relational turmoil. So what's the answer? 
Well, we found the problem in the consequences in Neb's story. Guess what? We find the answer in his story as well. And it's actually right in his dream. So let's check this out. So uh, Daniel, he interprets the king's dream. And God enabled him to provide this interpretation. And what Daniel talks about is that, all right, hey, Neb, you are that head of fine gold. And that's your kingdom. And after you, there's going to be, uh, you know, subsequent kingdoms that come along. So, by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar, your, your kingdom isn't going to last forever because it's a faulty foundation that will eventually crumble. There's going to be other kingdoms that come along. But the focus, and, and we can get lost in, well, who are exactly are these kingdoms and, you know, what is it, you know, we can get lost in that, and I, I can tell you what I think about that. But the focus of this dream is on the stone. The focus of this dream is on the stone because this stone comes in and it crushes the feet of the statue and brings the rest of it crumbling down. And then the stone grows into this huge mountain. Well, who's the stone and who's the mountain? What's the mountain? The stone is Jesus. The mountain is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of the heavens. And the kingdom of God has several features that this dream tells us about. Check this out. Verse 44 tells us that it is created by God, unlike the other kingdoms of the world that are man-made. Verse 44 tells us that it's indestructible, that it's eternal, that it will crush all other kingdoms, including yours, if you build it apart from Christ. You see, the answer is a sure foundation exists, a a sure, unchanging, undestructible, eternal foundation exists, and it is Jesus, and it is his kingdom that he came, bled, and died for, and then conquered the grave to initiate and start and to give us access to now, and, it's, and when he returns, it will come fully it's now in part, it's already, but not yet. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. But he will come, and at last, the kingdoms of the world will be the kingdoms of the one true king. Jesus and his kingdom are the rock that we need to build our lives on. Everything else is sinking sand. Sounds like a song. Number four, point number four, the inspection. So we got the problem, the consequence, the solution, and then the inspection. So often we live just unconsciously aware of what we're building our life on. Life's foundations are kind of like glasses. I've used this analogy before, but it's a good one. I'm going to use it again. So our glasses, a person that wears glasses all the time, they forget they have their glasses on, right? And they hardly ever take off their glasses to look and examine their glasses. But yet they see all of life through those glasses. That's how our life's foundations are. Normally, they're operating in the background, right? And we're not even really aware of what we're building our life on, but yet it informs and influences all of our actions and our choices. And so sometimes we gotta, we got to examine the foundation. Is it the right foundation? Is it the secure foundation? Right? 
and we as Christians, what we do, and, and this is why we need to examine it repeatedly too, is oftentimes what we do is we park on the rock of Christ and his kingdom in a mobile home that has wheels on it, and it just starts to gradually drift off. We don't put the parking brake on it. It starts to drift off onto other rocks, right? And so we got to make sure that, wait a second, I got to get back on the rock, and I need to develop some real, real deep roots in the rock. So our life foundation is the why behind the what of our lives. And so how can we inspect our life foundation? Guess what? The answers are back in Nebuchadnezzar's story once again. Check this out. Emotions are symptoms of where our lives, where we're building, what foundation we're building on. And so Neb's anger, it revealed something, didn't it? So... The anger's not the problem. He doesn't need anger management classes. What he needs, the anger is revealing the root of the issue. The root is he's got a faulty foundation. His foundation is threatened, and so he is ticked. Right? So one diagnostic tool for us to use is what infuriates you? What infuriates you? Kyle Eidelman, he writes this in a study we did, God's at War. He writes this about what infuriates you. This is great. Everyone has a hot button or two. Something that we say makes us crazy. Are you so competitive that you can't stand for your team to lose a pickup game at the gym? Could it be that being the best is your idol? How do you respond sitting in traffic when someone cuts you off, drives too close, speeds up, won't let you in? Why does this stranger have so much power over your emotions? What about when someone embarrasses you or doesn't treat you with respect? What's the real issue here? Maybe your quick temper reveals the oldest idol of them all, the God of me. What infuriates you? King Nebuchadnezzar says it wasn't just his anger that revealed his faulty foundation. You know what else it was? His anxiety. He was worried. Our anxiety, our fear, our insecurities, they can reveal what we're building our life on. And so I ask you this morning, what do you fear? What, what do you worry about? This is what Eidelman writes about this question. It could be the idea of losing someone significant or losing your job or house or talent. By the way, I was at my financial advisor uh, talking with him. You know what insurance that doctors make sure that they have even before life insurance? Disability insurance. They fear losing their ability to do what they do and make the money they make. Wasn't planning on sharing that. So I'm Maybe it's the fear of being alone. You can care so deeply about something that it has a hold on you deep inside and is revealed when your mind is in freeform mode at night. Whatever it is that wakes you or, for that matter, keeps you up has the potential to be an idol. To re- it can reveal that you're building your life on a faulty foundation. What else revealed Nebuchadnezzar's faulty foundation? What he was doing in his free time, when he had time just to, you know, unplug, 
relax a bit. Check this out. What's, what's Neb doing when he has time to do that? Where is his mind at? It's on, look at this kingdom and how great and how wonderful this kingdom is and I am for building this. That's where his, what, what, what he was doing in his solitude. Tim Keller writes this, Archbishop William Temple once said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. What do you enjoy daydreaming about? What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Do you develop potential scenarios about career advancement or material goods such as a dream home or a relationship with a particular person? One or two daydreams are not an indication of idolatry. Ask rather, what do you habitually think about to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart? The problem, we have built our lives on faulty foundations. The consequence, inner and relational turmoil. The answer, building our lives on the unchanging king of this world and his unshakable, undestructible kingdom. The inspection, we need to look at our emotions. What infuriates us? What are we worrying about? And what are we daydreaming about? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are a rock, that you do not change, that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Lord, help us to build our life upon you and your kingdom and your kingdom's values and your kingdom's ways so that we are not blown and tossed back and forth by the waves of, of life. Lord, I pray that uh, you would search our hearts and reveal to us where we're in that mobile home without the parking brake on, drifting off of you and your, you as our rock and drifting onto other sources, other foundations to build our life on. And may we not be people, Lord, that try and be on one foundation and then on your foundation simultaneously. Because that doesn't work either. May we be all and only, only for you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>